And Jesus came on a rescue mission for you. And we should want that same grace extended to people who we don't agree with or we don't like or we think are wrong. And we want to make sure, brothers and sisters, that we, as a family of faith, we are willing to challenge the presuppositions of our society and our culture in the name of Jesus. Because we are Christians first. And our kingdom is not of this world. We are dual citizens, but our eternal home is in heaven. Pastor Daniel isn't pulling any punches today as he challenges you to consider where your heart is. Are you following the ethics of God's kingdom, or have you just absorbed the priorities of the culture around you? Because you have a relationship with God and are part of his family, you're not a citizen of this world. You belong to him. And so his ways and his values should be the ones that you seek to live by and to foster in your circle of influence. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 8 as he continues his message, Coming Correct. Achan could have had more than he ever could have hoped for if he would have just waited And I think that's true for many of us right now. You're experiencing less than all that you could hope for, but you're also not willing to wait for God's timing. And this principle of the first fruits, it's all through the Bible. All through the Bible. And you're like, oh, that's Old Testament. No, Jesus was the first fruits of those who were born, risen from the grave. See, the reality is, is that in the way God created humanity to live, God is first and then humans are second. And so in all that we receive, we always give God the first fruits, always. Like we should wake up every morning and the first thing we should do is praise God. Why? Because we open up our day, we enter into his courts with praise. We should live our lives. When we receive compensation for whatever we do for work, the first fruits goes to God. We don't say, well, listen, I'm going to do all my bills and we'll give God whatever's left. But that's how many of us do it. And then you always end up living a life where you're saying, man, I never have the things that I want. Well, because you're not giving God the first fruits. All of our lives, the first fruits are meant to be to God. Even so much when you go to map out your week, do you block out your devotional time? Why? Because the first fruits of your life should go to God. That's the first relationship we should feed. Do you give the first fruits of your intellect to reading the word and soaking in the word of God? We want to give God the first fruits of our energies. When we look at how we're going to spend our time, do we give God the first fruits and say, I'm going to go to second Saturday. I'm going to do this. See, God wants us to live lives where he is in the first place. And the principle of the first fruits is all about that. Why? Because nothing we have, we've generated on our own. God is the source of all things and our lives. And so we want to offer to God those first fruits. And the beauty is, is when you give God the first fruits, all that he blesses you with is way more than the first fruits. And that's the thing that's so crazy about it. It's like we think if I give God the first fruits, I'm going to be without. And God's like, no, no, you give me the first fruits and I got so much more for you. 
But what happens is we want the so much more, God's exceeding abundance, without the first fruits. And that becomes a problem. So although Jericho, everything was devoted to the Lord, when it comes to Ai, everything was going to be theirs. All the spoils of the entire city. And we start to realize at the end of verse 2 that God has given them a battle plan. You notice it says at the end of verse 2 here, it says, lay an ambush for the city behind it. Now look at the battle plan, verse 3. It says, so Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them saying, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city and it will come about when they come out against us as at the first that we shall flee before them for they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. And then they will say they are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do see I have commanded you. So the battle plan is pretty simple. Joshua has a large army, some 30,000. He takes a regiment of these guys and he wants them to lay an ambush behind the city. And he's like, we're going to approach like we did last time. And right as they see us coming on up, they're going to come out against us. We're going to all run away like we did the last time. They're going to think, oh, these guys do not know how to fight. They're running away. Let's all run after them. And now everyone, all the troops are going to run out of the city after this army. And the people who are lying in wait, they're going to walk on in the city. No one's going to be in there. And it's going to be easy schmeasy. Sounds like a good plan, right? What I want to remind you of, because you have this plan here, how different is this plan than the plan to destroy Jericho? A lot. This sounds like a military plan, doesn't it? Jericho sounded like a religious ritual. We walk around the city once every day, and on the seventh day, you walk around seven times, and then you shout, you blow trumpets, and the walls fall down. This is actually like a legitimate battle plan. And I want to remind you that God is infinitely wise. So God doesn't need to do things the same way every time. I think what happens is when God starts working a certain way, we start to expect that God is always going to do that. But God has infinite wisdom at his disposal. So I bring this up because as I was preparing this message and I was seeking the Lord, I felt like the Lord wanted me to remind some of you that he might want to use you differently in this season than he has in previous seasons. And I think what happens is we get caught thinking, well, this is what God has always done, so this is what God does. Oh, God's got infinite resources. All wisdom is God's wisdom, and God may want to use you differently than he has ever used you before. God may want to work in your life uniquely than he has ever worked before. Are you available for that? And I think there's some of us here today, you're hearing this and you're saying, I think that's me right now, where God is inviting me to do something different. He's working in a different way, and I've been kind of resisting it because I'm like, well, God's always worked the other way. Listen, embrace what God wants to do right now. This is what I would call a legitimate military plan with God. They're all legitimate, but this one's like actual battle plan. And you see what happens in verse 9. Joshua, therefore, sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people... Verse 10, then Joshua rose up early in the morning and he mustered the people 
And he went up, he and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. So you notice here, everything's set. Really, you have three different contingents, one on the west, one on the north, and then Joshua in the valley, right? So you have these three contingents that are set there and all things are ready. Now, as we get to verse 14, we're going to see that God's strategy that Joshua is executing on God's behalf is going to work to perfection. Exactly the plan is going to come to pass. So look what it says, verse 14. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all the people at the appointed place before the plain, but he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them, and they fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel, so they left the city open and pursued Israel. Verse 18 Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. And so those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand and they entered the city and they took it and they hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now, when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai, they took alive and they brought him to Joshua. So you see that this plan worked to perfection. When the king saw what was going on, he saw this army assembled in the valley. He said, we better go out and meet them head on, just like last time. And right as they came on out, Joshua turned around, they started fleeing. And you realize that's a very vulnerable position in battle. When you got your back to the enemy and you're running away, you know, you're vulnerable. And so sure enough, they go. And then Joshua, the Lord tells him to raise up this javelin. And if you know your Bible at all, Joshua's use of the javelin was actually a reminder of the way God directed the army of Israel. Joshua would have remembered in Exodus chapter 17 when the army of Israel was victorious because Moses was holding up his hands with his staff in his hands. Remember that? And when Moses would get tired, his arms would sag and the children of Israel would be losing in battle. And remember, Moses' companions, his brother Aaron and her, they had Moses sit down and they held up his arms. 
So now in the same way, this idea of the leader holding up this javelin, and once this thing is up, now all of a sudden the people who are waiting in ambush go on in, and there's nobody in the city. And they're able to execute this plan to perfection. And sure enough, when all of a sudden they see the smoke coming up, the armies of AI become completely bewildered. They realize they're in trouble. They don't even know where to go. And when the children of Israel see all the smoke going up, they know this plan is working exactly as it was supposed to. They turn around and they begin to fight with those of AI who are already bewildered. And you know this thing's over. But as this brings itself to a climax, we also learn that Everybody died except for the king of Ai. They brought him to Joshua, which was the custom in that culture. The average person in the army wouldn't just kill the king. They would want to bring the king to the leader. And look at what happens. Picking up in verse 24, it says, And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness where they pursued them, and when they had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening, And as soon as the sun went down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the city gate, and raise over it a great heap of stone that remain until this day. So we have a number of things here, kind of the aftermath of this battle. First, you realize that the children of Israel fulfilled what God had asked them to fulfill by killing all the inhabitants of the land. We find out that 12,000 people, both men and women, all died that day. Now, again, we've talked about this all the way through, and we see these battles where not only are men and women dying, it violates our senses of justice. One of the things that we find, of course, in the scriptures is that God wanted all of the people displaced because he was concerned about the influence of the people of those nations upon his people. Now, again, does that mean that we should kill people who don't believe like us? The answer is no. And the reason we don't believe that today is because people can't repent when they're dead. Does that make sense? God's not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. So there's nothing that I despise more than when I see those bumper stickers that says, God bless our troops and especially our snipers. You know why it bothers me? Because that's not the heart of Jesus. But it is the way a lot of Christians think today. As if it's a good thing that someone is dead and they can't repent. Now, I realize that when I say something like that, I challenge many people's feelings. And I do this purposefully. I think it's part of my job. Because my job as a pastor is to, in some ways, call into question the status quo. That's my job. If something that we value does not line up with scripture, I would be a lousy pastor if I just let it go. 
If I just said, oh, listen, I'm going to don't offend people. They'll get mad. You know what I mean? My job is to make sure that we think biblically. And I'm here to tell you, God is not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. Now, I'm not saying we should allow people to wreak havoc on the world. But at the same time, we should more want to make somebody who is our enemy, our brother and sister in Christ, so that they are repent and they turn from their sins and they're born again. Then we should want them to be dead in a grave. And if you don't believe that, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with your Bible. You don't have a problem with the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible sent Jesus on a rescue mission for people who were just as in rebellion as anybody who we despise today. I was lost and Jesus came to find me. You were lost and Jesus came on a rescue mission for you. And we should want that same grace extended to people who we don't agree with or we don't like or we think are wrong. And we want to make sure, brothers and sisters, that we, as a family of faith, we are willing to challenge the presuppositions of our society and our culture in the name of Jesus. Because we are Christians first. And our kingdom is not of this world. We are dual citizens, but our eternal home is in heaven, which is the ethics of the kingdom that we should truly live in. So we always want to remember that. It's not like the world is going to get like less complicated. It's not like we're going to see less insanity But we need to think biblically, what is God's heart and plan in this? Now, moving on from there. (laughs) So fun. Next, what we find is that in verse 26, it says, For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Now, here's what I want to give you on this. The picture of Joshua with his arms stretched out with the spear, it's a picture to show you how victory is won. And you think of the idea of stretching out your hands. I think there's two pictures there. One, it's a picture of need. It's like every child, when they fall down, they reach up their hands and say, pick me up, right? And I think, too, it's always an expression of worship. And I think one of the keys to living a victorious life is learning how to worship through the battle, not just when the battle is over. To learn how to raise up our hands, knowing that we need God. And we raise up our hands and we learn how to worship him through the battle. And I think what goes on in the midst of the battle, for many of us, we stop worshiping and we focus on the battle when we're supposed to keep our eyes on the Lord and worship him and fight on. And I think that that's for some of us right now. We're in the situations of our lives. It's a challenge. It's a fight. It's a battle. There are storms that are raging. And God wants us to learn the simple art of persevering worship. Because you know that God is still glorious even before the victory comes. God is still worthy of praise even before we see God's provision for whatever the present calamity is. And I think for many of us, what happens is we want to worship him after it happens. When God's saying, I want you to worship me while it's happening, because you know that I have this. What does it look like for you and I to become the kind of people who in the face of the storm, we raise our hands to the God of heaven and we say, Lord, we can't do this without you, but we know that you have this. And that's the hope of the faith of those who follow Jesus is knowing that no matter what, I am in Christ. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember when they ended up before Nebuchadnezzar because they wouldn't bow down and worship his image? 
And he said, listen, our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, what? We're not going to bow down and worship you. He's saying, look, our God has unlimited power, but I'm not going to presume to know his will, but whatever my God's will is, I'm good with that. And that's the heart of a persevering worshiper. Too often we're allowing worship to be a reaction to God's provision, not worshiping proactively, knowing that God will provide in whatever way he deems necessary. Brothers, what does it look like for us to become persevering worshipers? What battle is in front of you today that you need to just raise your hands and just say, Lord, I trust you, I believe, help my unbelief. We need to learn how to worship in the battle. Not just after the battle's over. And I love that picture. Just like Moses, many, many years earlier, Joshua, same way, he did not bring his arms down until it was all done. Of course, verse 27 tells us the livestock and the spoil they got to take for themselves. Notice it says that Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And by the time you get to the end of verse 29, we find that the king of Ai, he was killed. He was hung on a tree, but he was removed before the sun went down. Now, if you recall, that was one of those laws from Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, where somebody who was dead's body was not meant to be exposed overnight because it defiled the land. So in the same way, they had to remove him, and he ended up, they raised up a great heap of stones at the entrance of the city gate. So you have this reoccurring idea of the heap which of course speaks to us of destruction or desolation or the judgment of God. Now, this chapter ends in a very strange way, but I think you're going to enjoy it. Look what it says in verse 30. It says, now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man is wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The stranger, as well as he was born among them, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. Now, remember I said that he does something strange? Because after a great military victory, you would think that, okay, prudence would tell you, you need to secure the surrounding areas. You need to begin to scout out what the next set of areas are. But Joshua takes the people on a spiritual pilgrimage. Jesus is... What are you battling through right now? Are there things going on that you're struggling with? 
Well, today, Pastor Daniel pointed out that Joshua was able to worship God through the battle, not just when it was all over. He trusted that God would do what he said he would do. And so Joshua praised God in the midst of the struggle because of the hope and faith he had that the Lord was at work even if he couldn't see it clearly at the moment. Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Come back next time when Pastor Daniel continues on in this journey with the children of Israel as they're conquering the promised land. You'll be reminded that we should expect to have hard times in life. Not everything's going to be rainbows and butterflies if you're walking in step with the Lord. You'll also be reminded that you should be wise about the people you welcome into your circle of friends. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.